0: All right, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. I have a very interesting job right now. If you've just joined us over the past few weeks, you haven't been here. We've been in a series called Unto the Lord. And there's it's a passion in my heart. I know it sounds like a strange message to, in a sense, look at for the year, just unto the Lord. What does it mean? What does it actually mean? So there's so much Christian jargon or Christianese or religionity, all these words that I enjoy to make up in the church today that people just kind of say things but there's no conviction. And what does it mean to say, you know, I gave my life to the Lord? It's something that I, I think of often because in the scripture it means what it means. It means you give your life to Him. You give your life, the rest of your life. Lord, you can have my life. And that looks different for every single person. But we've been looking at what it means to be unto the Lord. Uh, for when I originally, and I know today it's going to be a little bit of repeat, I'm going to try recap. I can recap four weeks, so please just go listen to it. But some of it won't make sense unless you put it in context. But I, I when I, I no, I said this last week, but when I moved here in 2007, um, I actually phoned my dad in 2005, I think it was, and told him, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me to come to the United States. And he was very kind and said, well, don't come unless you know it's the Lord that's called you. And he, because he knew I would have to, and we spoke about this yesterday in the leaders, uh, leader's training time, but he knew that I would have to get on my knees at some point when things got really difficult. And I would have to say, Lord, you, you, you put me here. And he basically said, if you can not say that, don't come. We would love to have you personally, but don't come and unless you know it's the Lord. And it was a song by this guy called Robin Mark, an old album called Revival in Belfast, of Prepare the Way of the Lord. The song is called Revival. Prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. And I came here with that conviction to prepare the way of the Lord, not thinking I was Elijah or anything like that. In fact, most people called by the Lord really struggle with a sense of inadequacy. Yeah? I think we all do to some degree. But I came, I came here with, with just that conviction, meaning we want to honor His presence above our programs. And, and that was just a conviction that I picked up also from my parents. Obviously, they put it in the DNA of this church. But we really wanted to have that conviction, and we wanted to let His Word be believed. That's something I really cried out to soon after I got saved, that His Word would be believed, not just heard. Not just heard. And that we would worship in spirit and in truth. And so that, that sense of prepare the way of the Lord. So I started to read about John the Baptist. Because his whole life was prepare the way of the coming Messiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. And I still believe that there are times in our life, or there are parts of our life, should I say, that we are actually called, called to prepare the way of the Lord. And there are times where the Lord goes ahead of you. I mean, you know, there's both in Scripture. Where the Lord goes ahead of you and makes a path, even our path in a sense to the, to the Father, our path back to God, the Bible says Christ has gone ahead and consecrated even the way to God. He's even made that righteous on our behalf, even how to get to the Lord. So He's gone ahead of us. But there are times that He went out before the disciples and did things, and then they came after and walked into what He was already doing. The other times where He sent them out ahead of Him. And so in the New Testament, when I look at Scripture... And it sounds obvious, but I see that every person is in ministry. We think of ministry as this, but every person is actually a new covenant minister because every person is a new covenant temple. In the Old Testament, the fire came corporately upon the temple where they all gathered. And we still have an expression of that here today, which is, of course, in the New Testament as well. But in the New Testament, the fire fell on individual people. Very different. Very different because now every person became a temple where the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God resides. And therefore that makes you a vessel. But the vessel is not what people look at. It's what's inside the vessel. Vessels hold something. I don't, you know, I guess if you really like mugs or something. But when I'm drinking coffee, I'm like, man, this coffee is like joy juice. It's just good. Right? Right? I'm not thinking about the vessel it's in. And it's like that with us. The vessel is what's inside. And we are called to carry the Holy Spirit. So every single one of us are actually in ministry. And let me say, every one of us have the same Holy Spirit within us. Every single one. He's not bigger in you than in me. He's not better in me than in you. He's not. And He partners with us every single one of us different, and He puts ministries in us. He puts ministries in us, gifts, calls, His hand, that's what the anointing is, the hand of God upon your life. He puts ministries in us, and sometimes we think ministry has to look like this. I know I've been saying this, but we need to hear it over and over, especially in the West. I need to hear it over and over. But He puts so many ministries in each one of us that it's normal, everyday life. I do something. And it seems to have an impact on people around me, whether it's hospitality, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's sport, whether it's when we sit down with a meal, people just seem to open up. Whether it's whatever, there's different that that as you do regular life, the Holy Spirit upon you in different ways for everybody starts to impact and turn people's hearts around you. Sometimes without you even trying. Sometimes, yes, there's intentionality, but there are There are graces upon each of our life. And unfortunately, what happens often in the church is we've exalted some of those and everyone tries to look like that guy preaching or everyone tries to look like that guy singing or everyone tries to look like some great businessman. Instead of saying, Lord, where and how do you, in a sense, use me? Because sometimes it's so normal and so practical that we miss it. We think the supernatural should be spectacular. But I'm here to tell you the supernatural is often missed. In fact, if it's overly hyped, it's probably not the supernatural. And all of Christianity is supernatural. If it's real. And God has put ministries and his hand upon each one of you. And you just do something. It's an action you take. You're just walking in life. And in that area, it just seems you have the favor of God. It just seems that people start to ask questions. It just seems whatever. And people's hearts seem, seem to turn to the Lord. And sometimes they don't even know what that's happening. They, don't, they wouldn't say, my heart, is, my heart is starting to turn to the Lord. They don't know that. They just think, I, don't, I'm, I just feel nice when I'm with you. Less angry, less arrogant. I I feel like I want to forgive someone. I start to ask you questions about my family. I start to... The heart is turning to the Lord. That's what the spirit and power of Elijah does. The Bible says to turn hearts to the Lord. And it's so practical. I go sit with my friend over there, Chris and Kim. We used to go to their house a lot, especially when we were still single. My wife and I, they played a role in our marriage. And I used to go sit there because they had family and i had my own family but just you know as a young adult sometimes you are like i need another family but i used to, i used to go sit there and just be with them and and we just and just for him i was just talk to him and kim was just running around and it was just they such incredible hosts and we would just talk with him. and then we would start, start talking together and i find i would leave with a hunger for the things of the spirit and the things of the prophetic in my heart without trying we would just being sitting around a fire and they weren't like trying hard you know fasting and praying before we come and you know calling they were just just being and it's everyone has that everyone has that in different measures and in different degrees but let's read the Bible so it's hard for me to recap all of that in just a very little bit of time and we're going to zoom into something this morning that seems a bit off topic but it We'll bring it back. You guys ready to read? Okay, I need need these. I'm reading out of the NLT, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him the word being jesus gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it verse 6 god sent a man john the baptist and that's how we started it gives you this incredible picture of christ the deity of christ the magnificence of christ the eternity of Christ, and then it says, and God sent a man. And we started with this, so we'll end with it. God has sent you. The Bible says that the the Lord determines the times and places where you live. So even the time, if we realize how much, in a sense, almost I'm going to say how much God believes in his people, because he has chosen out of all the time on the earth for you to exist here and for you to exist in this time and in this era. So when you look around right now and you see things going crazy and even the fabric of society being shaken in all different parts of the world, understand that He has given you by His Spirit. He has equipped you with something to address that or to help people walk through it or to see things from a perspective and from His perspective. He has equipped you because He put you here now. Hello? And the church, actually, the church of God are the ones that in a sense have truth. Please hear, we are not better than unbelievers. And that might shake you to hear that. But when Jesus talked about the coin, the lost coin, and then when the one coin was found, you've heard me say this, the coin, and the coin represents when a person gets saved, how, every, how heaven rejoices over one that gets saved. The coin didn't change in value. The coin didn't go from a nickel to a quarter. The coin was still valued the same, but it was positioned in the ten headdress on a bride, meaning the coin was found and positioned in the bride of Christ. The person discovers their purpose. But the value and the love of God for that person is the same before and after. He made us all. And so God has put you here, and He has placed His Spirit upon you, And he's put ministries within your heart, ministries over your life. And sometimes they're so practical, we miss them. And every ministry, I'm just going to read this outline. We've kind of done this, and then I'll go into for what today. Every ministry includes an altar. I wish I had time to go over these again, but we don't. An anointing, an area. It could be even a physical area. You know, even every prophet in the Bible was called to a king, to a people, to a place. I've had people say, I'm the prophet, I'm this. I'm like, great, to who? To who? <laughs> to yourself? <laughs> to who? <laughs> and everybody has an area. It could be an area of life. It could be a type of, minister, a type of business. It could be an, an age group, a call to youth. for. And every one of these things are sometimes for seasons. They're not always forever. But every ministry has an area. John's was in the wilderness. has an action. There's something you do and have attitudes kingdom attitudes, and that's what we've been looking at. So, practical kingdom attitudes to help facilitate the activity of the Holy Spirit through me in everyday life. Focus on the ministry. This is all still recap. We did this. And your ministry will come into greater clarity. I've said it again, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again. It starts with an understanding, a profound understanding of the simplicity of the gospel. Not some great revelation, but a revelation on the the truth of the gospel and what is actually the gospel and what that means till you can just talk about it to anybody because then as you go through normal life you'll run into someone i was speaking to someone in the sauna at the gym the other day and he just straight away started he looks literally looks at me and says it was two days ago do you believe the bible i'm like oh this is great (laughs) yes let's talk in the sauna just the lord boom some young guy do you believe the bible and he started going on about i don't know what the world's going crazy and i said it's going to be okay hold things and people loosely I, I can't go over all of this hold things and people loosely please go and listen i encourage you people don't belong to people let people go let things go be honest and real I spoke about that last week people can see through religious language and behavior—they are looking for authentic hearts, and sometimes a heart that loves will actually allow themselves to be associated with something even falsely. When someone's doing something crazy, and instead of doing a Pharisaical business, where you like, just like a, a Pharise- the, the political spirit or the religious spirit, both of them, Pilate or the Pharisees, wash their hands of it and say, I'm, I, "I wash my hands of this. I have nothing to do with this." Why? Because that makes me appear separate. And being separate from mess makes me appear better. But when something happens in a person's life and things aren't going well, a person who loves will actually go stand next to them. And yes, unfortunately, other believers will point and say, how can you allow that? How can you say that's okay? Or how can... They're not doing that. I'm standing here with this person. You can associate me with it or not. But that's what love does. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does. And people can see through religious stuff to a heart that has the love of Christ shed abroad in the heart where you can love someone even when things are ugly. Amen? Who had someone do that for you? Lift your hand real quick. Who had someone in a tough time love you like you just... Yeah. It turns things. Now, this is what we're going to talk about today. Stop complaining. The fourth attitude. Stop complaining. A kingdom attitude that is a very practical attitude that actually help facilitate ministry, the things of the Spirit in my life in a very practical, normal way. One of the attitudes we can choose is stop complaining and be thankful. So, go to John chapter one We've t- started taking every one of these back to John the Baptist, but... We're going to branch off of that today, and I wish I had time to outline it better for you. Who's been here the last three weeks? Most of you, right? Wonderful. So John 1, 16, from his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. So, Sierra's man is a man who has given his entire life, he's lived in the wilderness, all the hype about his birth has died out, he's strange, he eats locusts and wild honey, he dresses weird, he's oddball, he's out there, but he says... From his abundance, we have all received from one gracious gracious blessing after another. He wasn't Mr. Popular. He wasn't running around saying, I know things. He was just living, in a sense, unto the Lord. But he understood something. Everything I have comes from God. There was a thankfulness in his heart. There was a gratitude in his heart that was way beyond his life experience. And then he raised up these disciples, paid for everything, gave them everything. That's what it was to be a disciple maker in the, in the Old Testament, like a rabbi or a teacher. You were responsible for these people's lives. And as soon as he starts to fulfill his ministry, they go with Jesus. They leave him and they go with Jesus. And he ends up in prison. And yet he says, everything I have comes from the Lord. He is greater, I am less. He is everything Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in John chapter 1 verse 10, it says, He came into the world He created, we read it, but he, the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan with a birth that comes from God. I touched on this last week. Why didn't, the, why didn't they recognize their own Messiah? Obviously for many reasons, but partly because it didn't look like they thought. We all know this from Scripture. It just didn't look like they thought. They thought it was going to look like something else. They thought it was going to be political. And it's exactly what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. They got set free from Egypt, and it didn't look like they thought. And they complained. And we read it last week. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that when they complained, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 6, actually verse 5. But most of them talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament, most of them God was not well pleased with for their bodies were scattered in the, wo- in the wilderness, meaning they got set free, they were saved, they were in a sense delivered out of Egypt, which is a representation of saved, prophetic meaning of being a Christian. They were saved but never entered into the promised land. And there are so many believers today, we all have that in parts in our lives, but so many believers that in a sense are just saved, And there's nothing about walking in the promises and walking in the fulfillment of God. And in a sense, they die in the wilderness. And what does that? It says, Let these become examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things they lusted. Do not become idolaters as some of them were. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual morality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also were tempted and destroyed by serpents. And those all are basic things like idolatry, you know sexual morality those are things that culture holds up we learned it all our life don't do that it's not don't do that because God doesn't want you to be bad he knows when you do that you partner with the enemy who actually wants your destruction that's what sin is it's not don't be don't be a sinner don't be bad it's not behavior modification it's don't partner with something that actually wants your destruction I'm your father and I love you just like we do with our children yeah I want you to have fun but I don't want you to have fun in the street when you're three so those are all like big cars and trucks coming down the road. Sexual immorality, idolatry, and things that we're all aware of. But then it says this, nor complain. As some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroying angel. And there's something about complaining that it's like literal food for the enemy. It literally feeds the demonic realm. In complaining, you magnify that realm. In worship and in giving thanks, we'll see, you magnify the spiritual realm, the good, the the Lord. But in complaining, you magnify the enemy's view in your mind. How many of you, anything you focus on grows, even problems. Anything you practice, you get good at, even complaining. And what complaining starts to do is it starts to put soil in your heart or seeds that start to sow in your heart. They're like weeds. And the complaining starts to grow up. It starts to actually mature in the soil of your heart. And I know I touched this last week, and I'm sorry I'm taking so long to recap, but it's important. And what starts to happen is hope becomes almost impossible. And if anyone's ever been depressed or had major struggle with anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. Because we start to complain so much, understand that can be a separate issue, but sometimes when we complain so much it becomes a habit and everything is just complain, complain. And it doesn't mean we can't admit where we are. It doesn't mean that we have to be unrealistic. How are you? I'm perfect. No, you're not. Things are terrible. So you can admit something but without becoming a victim, without becoming cynical, without becoming bitter. So we complain and what happens is something starts to grow up in our heart and it affects Uh, the ability for us to have an expectation of good which is called hope that's what hope means so there's an unseen power of complaining versus thankfulness but I want to move we touched on complaining last week can we move to thanksgiving for the last few minutes thankfulness and I want to talk to you I've given you the outline and I know I took time to do that but it's important I want to talk to you very briefly about one thing today thankfulness the importance and the incredible power of gratitude. And I don't want to say the word thanksgiving as much, even though that's a Bible word, because then we all think of turkey. But thankfulness. The practice of giving thanks. Remember the scripture said these things happened to them, to those 1 Corinthians ten said, as examples. We actually didn't read it. It says that in one Corinthians ten. After it says, do not complain, it says, these things happen to them as examples for us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So we look back and we see an example of what to do, what not to do. And one of them is giving thanks. So we're going to zoom in on the giving of thanks, on gratitude. Okay? Can you guys zoom in there with me real fast? Where did that start? Because something, sometimes something's in a, in a culture in, in the scripture or in any culture in the world, but where did it start? That always matters. Where did Thanksgiving start? Well, obviously way back in the book of Genesis, you see even Abel offering an offering to the Lord before the law came in. But God codified this in the law. It started as a peace offering. God gave the law to Moses and a thanksgiving offering. There were six major types of offerings. We're not going to go into that. Burnt offering, guilt offering, sin offering, and we're not doing a teaching on offerings, Old Testament offerings. But God codified something in the law that's going to be forever, and He made sure that He was teaching a nation something the Bible says as an example for us to look at. And He codified this thing called a thanksgiving offering. And it came under this big heading, one of the major types of offerings, called the peace offering the thanksgiving to to offer thanks to offer thanksgiving was a type of peace offering in the bible are you guys sticking with me And there are certain uniqueness factors about peace offerings that is only associated with peace offerings, none of the other sacrificial ways that they used to do in the Old Testament. Firstly, the peace offering was the only offering where the worshiper shared in, an, in the offering with God. So they would bring an offering, an animal or something, they'd bring an offering, and then as it was offered to God, after that, they would share in that food. They would actually share a meal, in a sense, with the Lord, with the mediator, which back then was the priest, and with themselves. It actually is pointing towards New Testament communion. You know the term Eucharisto? The Catholics say take Eucharist. That term, when it says Jesus blessed the bread and gave thanks, that phrase gave thanks, Eucharistia. So there's an Old Testament offering that they would take, and that was the only offering that they could actually take what they offered and eat it with the Lord. They could share in this offering with the Lord. And it is the offering that it actually talks about when you do this, something of God is imputed upon you. Well, what is it called? A peace offering. And so they would bring God an offering and actually the peace of God would be endowed, imputed upon their life. But very interestingly, and this offering, the peace offering, and only the peace offering was the only one, it was not a command it was by choice he said you can you can bring a peace offering it was actually called a free will offering of your own free will you don't have to but i encourage you to it's a free will offering and so what i'm teaching you now is a principle but this is what happens in the west and this is what happens in my mind it happens to all of us we learn a principle of the lord that. Where does Thanksgiving come from? And we'll continue to go on it. But what happens is we say, oh, that's the principle. Okay, I'm just going to, like, I will go through the motions. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, okay, thank you, God. Now, peace. Where's peace? I'm not feeling the peace. Thank you. Say it louder. The funny thing about a Thanksgiving offering or giving thanks or gratitude is it actually has to be real in the heart. In a sense, for it to work. And so people are like, well, I can't force myself to be thankful. So how does that happen? How in the Bible does thankfulness arrive in the human heart? And there's actually three ways that the Bible gives us. There's many, but three particular ways. First, I call the response of gratitude. This is easy. You give a child something, something they really want, and they're grateful, hopefully. Anyone who, you know, it's like, I love the Lord because He gives me stuff. That's easy. I love the Lord because He blesses me. That's easy. But as you know with a child, if the child is only grateful but when you're giving it stuff, that's how you raise a brat. Oh, boy. And that, that the truth? So, <laughs> someone's getting excited. Mothers are like, yes. That's how you raise a spoiled child. Only be grateful when I give you something. This is called the response of gratitude. That's easy. Everyone can do that. But then you get something that I call the choice of gratitude. This is an act of my will. I don't feel thankful, but I get to choose to say thank you. It's an act of my will. It's the choice of gratitude. This is the offering part. Think about it. God taught a nation He taught a whole nation, codified it in the law to make sure that they knew that they could come to God and offer thanks even when they didn't feel like it, and it cost them something. They had to pay for that. cost them something. I'm going to say thank you of my own free will. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do that, and it's going to cost me something. And what starts to happen? Something of God is endowed upon you, is imputed on you. So you say thanks when you don't feel like it, and all of a sudden your heart starts to become actually thankful. Isn't that amazing? And God taught a nation that so we could look back and see, yes, that's actually how it works. We teach our children, hopefully, to be grateful before they feel grateful. How I many of you know you give your child something and then you hold it as, they're running, as they want to grab it and run? You hold it, and they're like, you're like, what do you say? And what do they say? Thank you. And then they run off. And you're like, I don't, think, I don't think it's... Right? But we teach our children to say thank you before they feel thankful. Why? Because it produces gratitude. God did that with Israel for us to look at and say, Hey, there is a type of offering that will actually put peace, God peace, here. Here. and it's the choice of thankfulness and the peace of god will start to come into my heart and i will start to actually be thankful and now something is changing in here because i choose to say thank you and then the third very quickly is relational gratitude what you can have gratitude in your heart from revelation In fact, most of the time, people's gratitude matches the revelation of the cross. You can have one revelation of the truth of Jesus, one revelation of the cross, what actually took place, and gratitude will rise in your heart. But that's the kind of gratitude that lasts a lifetime. It comes from revelation. So, three factors concerning biblical thankfulness. It is essential for the peace of God. Please hear me today, and I know it's already 1130 But please hear what I'm saying. In these times, I encourage you to understand this one thing. It is essential for the peace of God. Thankfulness is essential for the peace of God. Now, I won't go through the scriptures. They'll come up behind me in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 4. Basically shows us that Christ was our peace offering. He was our peace offering. He did it freely. He did it of His own will. He didn't feel like doing it, but He did it. He even said to the Father, is there another way? But He did it, and He did it in righteousness. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, He Himself is our peace. He fulfilled the Old Testament peace offering. Christ is our peace offering. However, you can know that here, you can know that Christ is our peace offering and still not go through the practice of giving thanks. And what happens is it's like, that has happened and that's true, but I am then saved in the desert, but there's no peace in my heart. And I'm going through a crazy circumstance and the world is going crazy and I'm worried and I'm filled with anxiety and I don't know what to do. And God has literally given us a lesson in scripture that he taught to the Old Testament Hebrews that he says, look at them, find an example. And he says, give me thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Give thanks. There are things you don't understand in the unseen realm. Say thank you. Give me thanks. Enter my courts with thanksgiving. Give thanks. And I will put peace on you. And I will make your heart thankful. And that will change your perspective. Because thanksgiving is how you magnify God, in my view. And then he starts to magnify his hand in your life. This is thanksgiving. It was something that all Hebrew people knew. So the application of the peace of God is connected to my practice of giving thanks. I have more gratitude in my heart now towards my parents, and I'm 41, than I did when I was 16, when they were living and dying for me, when they were providing everything, when I was being a brat. They were doing more for me then, but I have more gratitude now. When we learn to give thanks, when we don't feel thankful, gratitude will build and build and build and build. And it's that highway in a sense. It's that landing strip that you create for the Lord in your own heart that allows the peace of God to become actually real. It's not a statement. It's not a thought. It's not a Bible teaching. It's I actually have peace. the Bible says it is the peace of God that will crush Satan not the warfare I wish I had time to unlock that the peace of God when it's in a life is one of the most powerful things I find in scripture peace that's why even in the Middle East they still greet each other peace Philippians 4 be anxious for nothing but in everything not for everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind this is Paul an expert in Jewish law an expert in the Old Testament and he's saying you want peace? say thank you that's what he said Look at this, Colossians 3. And let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you were called, and be thankful. Ties them together. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So first, the peace of God, thanksgiving thanks. Even when you don't feel like it, bringing an offering of thanks by simply saying thank you, you can't think it. You have to say it out loud. That means it's a sneaky way. Now you're praying. You're actually saying, Lord, thank you. And sometimes life is so tough, you have to figure out what I can say thank you for. But just find one thing and start there. And thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. And allow the peace of God start to come. Thanksgiving also honors God. It says that plainly in Psalm 50, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. Honoring God is a good idea. I'll leave it there. Number three, we're going to end with this one. The practice of giving thanks, not just knowing that Christ is our peace offering, not just knowing that I can take a kingdom attitude of thanksgiving and it allows and facilitates the ministries God's put in my heart it's not just that the practice when I'm actually walking in a lifestyle of what it means to say thank you of what it means to give thanks to the Lord to exalt the Lord to give thanks to magnify him in my view the practice of giving thanks is what magnifies God in our view but it's actually how we partner with God's power I'm going to talk about this very quick can you guys give me seven more minutes that wasn't very loud but we'll forgive you (laughs) 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Yes, demons have doctrines. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Listen to this, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Read this with me. For every creature of God is good. Okay? And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You know what the word sanctified means? Obviously, set apart, but it actually means to be put in the state of proper functioning. A pen on the table is there, but when I'm writing with it, the pen is sanctified because it's in a state of functioning, in a state of, in a state of proper use. So it says here, every creature of God is good. So Paul is now writing to Timothy. Timothy, he was not raised Hebrew; he was raised Greek, and Paul is writing to Timothy, an expert in Jewish law and understands things around the offerings. The offerings of God, and he's writing to him, and he's writing to him about something that is very important in their day, which was meat that was sacrificed to idols. Believers were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols from pagan temples and so forth, because they would find it in the meat market, not knowing where it had come from, and they would eat it, and then they would get like eat cursed food, get sick, and die. So then people are like, well, I'm never going to eat meat again because I'm a believer. And Paul starts to write to Timothy and says, actually, there's, in a sense, something else that you don't know. Let me help you. And he says, every creature of God is good. What is he saying, guys? Go back to Genesis 1.29. Every seed bearing plant and every tree that has fruit is for food. Then he says... In 131, he calls creation good, and then in Genesis 9:3, "Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants I gave you, I give you now everything." He's saying, "God after creation, after all the animals, after all the plants." He said, "Everything is very good." He said, "Now you're getting sick because you're eating cursed meat." It wasn't like a, 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 um, an imaginary, just a principle thing that we were discussing. People are dying. And they're eating cursed meat. So Paul says, every creature of God is good. Right? And he says, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified, it is placed back into proper state of use. By prayer, that's the giving of thanks. And by the word of God, knowing what God said. So knowing what God says, Paul's saying, actually, you can take that food and you can say, God, knowing what you have said about this, which you have made, you called this very good. Every creature you made is good. You made, you called this good. Knowing what your word says about this, I give you thanks for this because you made it and you called it good. What took This now cursed meat in these days out of the enemy's hand, which was put in the enemy's hand in a sense through the curse and whatever, but what took it out of the enemy's hand and put it in the Lord's hand? Because now they eat something, and it's something that was meant for their harm, meant to kill them, now actually nourishes them. How to take something out of the enemy's hand that was meant to do me harm, and now it's back in the Lord's hand, and it's going to do me good. What did it? Giving thanks. Giving thanks according to the Word of God or the truth of God about what you're thanking Him for. Friends, this is such a powerful thing when we see it, that the practice of giving thanks is actually how we partner with the Holy Spirit to restore the design of God. I'll say it again. Giving thanks is practically how we partner with the Holy Spirit to restore the design of God and the desire of God for something that He made. And Paul is teaching this. It is every creature is good. Nothing is to be refused if it was received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the Word of God, knowing what God's Word says, and by saying thank you and by prayer. So, we've unfortunately whittled this down to grace. Thank you, Jesus, for the food. Amen. Mm -mm. It's not just that. There's an exceptionally powerful tool that they were using in the New Testament that literally saved people's lives because they understood. Along came a Jewish expert and said, there's something in the power of a Thanksgiving offering which will give you peace, but it can also do this. Restore something to what God intended it to be. Now, if it's true of food, what about people? Did God not make people? So when someone hurt you, someone betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, just like that food, I encourage you, you can go into and pray to the Lord. It helps to know what God says about that person. And you can be, Lord, I know what the enemy and what people have done to this one which you've made. But I know what you say about them. And so for them, I give you thanks. What starts to happen? You start to gain heaven's perspective on that person. What starts to happen? You start to have peace in your heart. You start to get less affected. By the entourage of onslaught. Peace starts to come to your heart. And what else happens? Watch the change in theirs. Because you are partnering with the Lord to restore something to the way God sees it. Because I can say thank you when it costs me. I can say thank you when it hurts. I can say thank you to magnify the Lord's hand into that situation. Because I can say thank you. This is the power of a thanksgiving offering it's a peace offering what about yourself what about you I've prayed this prayer many times Lord I know what my life has been like lately I don't know how I got here whether it was me whether it was the enemy in my mind whether it was people that hurt me but somehow I ended up where I didn't want to be but I know what you've said about me so I give you thanks what about yourself this is a powerful tool it is essential for the peace of God absolutely essential but that's where it starts to actually have and carry the peace of God where you can walk through a storm with someone else and you can sleep in the boat and they're freaking out peace But then there's, you go into the, you actually have to practically give thanks. It honors God and it becomes a weapon in your hand. It becomes a tool that takes away the disguise of what the enemy is trying to get you to see people like. It removes that disguise and you see them plainly and you can love them and thank God for them. And watch the power of the Holy Spirit in very natural, normal ways start to turn that person's heart inside out, upside down. That situation, that marriage. There is a reason why Paul, I'll end with this. There is a reason why Paul, in I think it's all but two of New Testament epistles, he starts within the first few verses I give thanks to God for you. An expert in Jewish thanksgiving offering. I give thanks to God for you. Why? He's not just saying, I'm thankful. He knows when I'm saying thankful, And I'm saying thanks to God for you. I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit to impact your life. So he starts every epistle, almost every, I give thanks to God for you. He's not just being kind to them. The power of thanksgiving. What did Jesus do when he did the miracle? Breaking the bread, feeding the 5,000. He says he took the bread and the fish. He broke it. It says he blessed it, but he says he says he gave thanks. He gave thanks; it wasn't just saying grace. He doesn't have to say grace. He's the Lord. But he gave thanks. Broke it. Said, now distribute it. Creating a landing strip for the miraculous, for the Holy Spirit, for a changed heart, because I can say thank you. I'm going to have to leave it there. They are practical. We're not going to get to the last one. We'll do that another day. But learning how to recognize when the Lord is at work in a person's heart. But they are practical things and attitudes that we can choose that partner with God to facilitate a very natural, we used to call it supernaturally natural, a natural, supernatural Christian life where as we do things, as we are, as we walk, the Holy Spirit's activity is around us. And I encourage you to be, th- to be thankful. Can we stand? It's a powerful tool. I know I said a lot today. And we're going to have to end the series there. But I, if you heard one thing today, is to give thanks. Can we sing that song real quick? I
1: don't know. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for all He's given. Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am Because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks.
0: Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks
1: in Jesus' name. Amen.